And so since your fingers are already um, in the passage, Psalm 63, if you hadn't yet turned to it, would you turn to Psalm 63, please? Last week we spoke about the subject that if you can trust Jesus with your death someday, you can trust Jesus with your life today. And um, as we look at this last song, and you'll notice the chorus says that we're looking for your coming, Lord Jesus. Um, I remember many, many years ago when I was in Bible college and also when I was a pastor in a church in America, the church there, particularly the group of people that I was around, virtually every second song that they sang had reference to the coming of Jesus. And it was a huge and a major theme, and I almost felt that they overdid it over those times. However, I think the pendulum had swung the other way, where we hardly mention the coming of Jesus and his return. And it's very interesting that Paul speaks in the book of Timothy, and he speaks about him leaving this world, Jesus receiving him, and he makes the statement, and he says that he is longing for the return of Jesus. He says, I'm longing for the return. Other translations say that Paul says that he loves the return of Jesus. He has a love for it. He, he wants Jesus to come. And he says that there is a very special reward for those who long for his return. And, and I think it is a very important truth that causes us today to become a little bit more heavenly minded. And again, those days when I was in the church there, um, there was a phrase that coined that people are so heavenly minded that they know earthly good. And oftentimes the Christians live there. But again, the pendulum has swung. And I think we're so earthly minded that we have not become any heavenly good, if I could rephrase it that way. Because there is a huge subject matter within the Bible all the way from the Old Testament to the New Testament where the Bible encourages us to look forward to the return of Jesus, actually to long for that return. And um, as I was pondering these thoughts, I was drawn to Psalm 63. And in my heart, I was asking myself the question, why is it that we do not long for the return of Jesus? Have you asked yourself that question? Because I think it is so important for us as Christians to be really honest about our spirituality and to be honest about how our lives line up with the Word of God. Because I have a desire for my life to be lined up with the Word of God, and I know you do too. And that's why we worship Jesus. That's why we worship together. That's why we love to read the Bible. That's why we love to pray. Because all of those events expresses our praise and love to Jesus, but it also brings our lives 
into alignment with the Word of God. I want to ask you the question too. When have you prayed, or when last have you prayed and said, Lord Jesus, when are you coming? Won't you please come? Because, you know, of course, we know that Scripture encourages us to pray for the coming of the Lord Jesus. Now, we do know that in the book of Matthew 24, you know, it speaks that Jesus will come when the gospel has been preached to all the nations. And hence, our desire to preach the gospel where it hasn't been preached before. And we know that that was the driving force within Paul's heart and his ministry, is to preach the good news to those who have not heard the good news. And so there's kind of like two sides to the coming of the Lord, that he could come at any time, because we actually don't know whether the scripture is fulfilled yet where the gospel has been preached in all over the earth. It doesn't say it must be continually preached. It says it has to be preached, even if it's been preached once. And so it keeps that expectation within our hearts for the coming of the Lord Jesus. And so I remember as a young person when I heard pastors or teachers or prophets speak on this passage of Scripture that we should long for the return of Jesus, for Jesus to come back. I used to say, no, I want to get married first and have children. You know, and so all of those experience, no, now I want to first see my grandchildren before you come, Jesus. You know, don't kind of cheat me by coming before that. I don't know if you have the same thoughts as I do, or do I only think those things? You know, and you, you catch yourself really loving life here. And sometimes I think we love life too much. And we have become so anchored in today that we do not live our Christian lives in the light of eternity. Because when we live our Christian lives in the light of eternity, the way we live our lives here will look very different. Our values will be different. The decisions we make will be radically different. And I think there will be a greater peace within our hearts. Because in this world, let's be really honest, we do not find peace. We find peace in the Lord Jesus Christ and in his plan for our lives. And so I thought, Lord, help us today as we look at this whole thing about having a longing in our hearts for you. And I know Andy Stanley interviewed a man who was very sick and who almost died from COVID-19. And you need to look for that uh, clip on YouTube and listen to it. And as uh, 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 this man is interviewed, he speaks about the whole concept that he has seen how people's values have changed during the COVID situation. Or he has seen what's really in the hearts of people come out over these pressurized situations. And he had seen that people's faith in the Lord Jesus, actually is not as strong as they thought it was. And their value systems really do not line up with the Word of God as it is. Go and look at that clip, so I'm not going to speak about that. But I think the whole concept of longing for God is one that brings us through uncertain times 
and it helps our values to be centered in the Word of God because values cause us to make decisions. And when we look at the decisions that we make, it speaks about the values that we hold dear within our lives. Jesus oftentimes said within the Gospels, it is by the fruit you will know them. And so the fruit, that which comes out of our lives, reveals our hearts. And so Psalm 63 is an amazing psalm that speaks about the heart condition of a man who was king over Judah and um, over Israel. And he is a man that God said of him that he's a man after my own heart. And so I'd like to read Psalm 63 as we look at the scripture about the longing of our hearts. What do you long for? Let's see what David longed for. He says, you God are my God. Earnestly I will seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. I've seen you in the sanctuary and behold and beheld your power and your glory because your love is better than life. My lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live, as long as I live, and in your name. I will lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied as with the riches of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. On my bed, remember you. I will remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night because you are my help. I sing in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you. Your right hand upholds me. Those who want to kill me will be destroyed. They will go down to the depths of the earth. They will be given over to the sword and become food for jackals. But the king will rejoice in God. All who swear by God will glory in him, while the mouth of liars will be silenced. And so we see a situation here where David is in the desert or the wilderness of Judah. And many years ago, I thought that um, David was actually running from Saul, as you know the history. Saul was his mentor, and Saul became jealous of David, and he wanted to kill David. And years ago, I thought he was actually running from Saul here. But when you read on, you'll see in verse 11, he speaks about the king will rejoice in God. And you'll see that this is a little bit further within his journey. And he had already become king. And what's happened here, it isn't so much Saul that is pursuing him, but it is David's own son, Absalom, who is pursuing him and who wants to kill him. His own son had driven him out of Judah. His own son had driven him out of Jerusalem. His own son had driven him out of the sanctuary of worship and pursuing me, and David flees. It's not because David was weak. It was because he didn't want to retaliate against his son as David didn't want to do against Saul after all of those days. So you see the heart of this man coming out in such an amazing way. And we need to recognize this. David wasn't a vengeful man. 
Because David was a worshiper, he trusted God. Even when others wanted to destroy him, he trusts God. You know, and um, he speaks in the psalm that God will stand up for him. And so we see something of the heart of this man. But while he is in the wilderness of Judah, and the psalmist says that there is no water, there is no sustenance, we find David in a place where he was without resource. And it's amazing what surfaces within our hearts when we are without resource within our lives. When we are lacking in some way, suddenly certain things rise up. Sometimes it is good things that rise up within our hearts. And oftentimes there are some things that we don't know that was there that's not that good that rises up within our hearts. But difficult times oftentimes reveals what is within our hearts. And I want us to look at what was within David's heart. Yeah, now we know David's life. We know his history. We've read the book. And the interesting thing about the Word of God is it tells it as it is. And it tells us about the good parts of David's life, but it also tells us about the checkered history that David also has. And I love that. You know, because it, you know, I think you and I must speak to each other about the good things within our lives, but also some of the bad things, the things we struggle with. Authentic relationship as friendship is about people knowing what we're going through. And um, the Bible tells us about David. So he wasn't a saint in the sense of he never did anything wrong. He went through some very difficult times within his life. He was a sinful man, but he was a man who had a heart after God. And when he sinned, his heart was drawn towards God. And that's what the gospel does. When we do sin, if we've had an encounter with Jesus, we will fall towards the Lord Jesus in repentance. Um, that's what happens when God draws us to him and when we've had an experience with him. And we see this time and time again with him, that he falls towards God and not away from God when he had sinned. And so we see here in this passage of Scripture, he is without, and we see what is coming out within his heart. He says, you, God, are my God. And I'd like us to pause right there just for a moment, because we see here that this psalm reveals David's depth of relationship and longing for God. When we are without, and when we have a relationship with God, when we've experienced God and have encountered Him personally at the cross, my friends, when the difficulty comes, when the trial comes, we see what David did. He responds to God and he says, 
you, God, are my God. David reveals what type of relationship he had with God. He says, oh God, you are my God. It is the deepest affirmation that can be made in the Old Testament between a man and God because it reveals what we call a covenant relationship with God. It is covenant language that is expressed. It is not just as you flippantly hear people say, oh God, have you heard that? You know, and the sad thing is Christians say that far too often, and that's not an act of worship. It's flippancy. It is actually a form, the Bible says, of cursing God, using his name in vain. Now, I want to warn Christians about that. We cannot just, when we're frustrated or as just a repetitive form, just say, oh God, oh God. My friends, that's blasphemy. I just want to come and say that quite clearly to us, and we hear it too often. And so we need to actually just check one another and say, oh, don't. Have you ever heard people say, Jesus, 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 people? You know, I remember, you know, within our block where we are living, you know, and um, one of our neighbors says the word of Jesus way too often. And the one day, you know, and I've known him for a while, but we don't have a friendship. And when he mentioned the name of Jesus very flippantly, I said, do you actually know him? No, you know, when people use the name of someone that I have a personal relationship with, that I feel passionately, if he's going to mention the name of Jesus, you just need to ask the person, do they know Jesus? Because they're mentioning his name. I know it's a little bit of sarcasm there, but my friends, it'll get people to think, and when Christians just says, oh my God, my friends, we need to say, hey, are you worshiping him now? What's happening? This is not what is happening here. What is happening here is that David is revealing the depth of his covenant relationship with God. What is a covenant relationship? You'll see that in Genesis chapter 17, verse 7. God says to Abram, I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your descendants after you, and I will be their God. A covenant relationship has everything to do with blood being spilled. And you see that in the Old Testament with David and Jonathan entering into a blood covenant where they cut each other and they mingled their blood together. And that means that they were in covenant together. It was exactly the same in the Old Testament that God entered into a covenant with the nation of Israel, but he also wanted to enter into a covenant with the other nations and use Israel as a voice to those nations to say that God loves you, enter into a covenant with them. And we see that that's where the sacrifices came in in the Old Testament, where lambs were slain because blood had to be spilled for us to get into a covenant with God. And that's where the cross of the Lord Jesus became the ultimate form of covenant relationship that was established between God and and man in the form of Jesus Christ dying on the cross for us. His blood was spilt so that we could enter into a covenant with him. 
And so when David expresses the words, Oh God, you are my God. It wasn't a flippant sentence that he mentioned. He was saying, Oh God, we're in this covenant. You've committed yourself to me. I commit myself to you to walk with you. And my friends, when he mentioned that, there is a strength that comes through that covenant relationship that you have. On a personal note, uh, Bill Barrett and I, we became friends. As John Joseph, a person within our congregation, introduced us when Bill was very, very sick in the hospital with cancer. And I remember as our friendship continues, Bill and I looked at each other one day and we said, you know, we're not just friends, we're like brothers. You know, although we didn't kind of cut blood, but we are brothers in Christ. And, and, and he's really like that brother to me. My brother-in-law, who's married to my sister, he's like one of my brothers. He is just the most amazing man that I know. Incredible man. And so he's my brother, and Bill is my brother, you know, and, and, and it's that you almost feel like a covenant affinity. Whatever happens to Bill kind of happens to me. Whatever happens to Miguel happens to me. You feel that, don't you, when you're in covenant with one another. And my friends, this is the concept here that when David cries out, he says, oh God, you are my God. It is like he knows that whatever happens to him, God feels. And whatever people say or do to God, he feels. There's that covenant relationship that you're entered into. We had dinner with a couple just the other night, and we were talking, and we were just talking about how we defend our spouse. You know, and I said to them, I said to them, you know, with Jenny and I, in the years that we've been married, which is 27 years, and Jenny married a pastor because I was already a pastor, so sometimes they don't know what they get involved in, but she's been the most amazing pastor's wife. But I always said this whenever I go into churches, that Jenny is my first sheep, and my children are my first sheep, and I treat them that way. The church, the people, will never be my ultimate first sheep. My family is my first sheep, and I think the congregation is very, very close. I love the churches that I've pastored, and um, what happens to people, we kind of feel. But I said to this couple, I said, whether it came to my family and Jen, whether it comes to my friends and Jen, if anyone touches my wife, they kind of touch the apple of my eye. If anyone says something unjust about my wife, I will stand up for her. If my family, which they haven't, I've got a wonderful family, but I would never even let my family say things about Jane. She's the apple of my wife. Husbands, protect your wives because you're in covenant together. Protect them. Stand with them. Cover them. A wonderful thing when a wife feels secure in the love and the protection of her husband. You see, that, 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 that's a covenant relationship that God has entered into. A covenant relationship is a powerful thing. The difficult thing is when your spouse hurts, you hurt. And this is what David is experiencing here when he says, Oh God, you are my God. He knows that God feels about him. 
like that. And he feels about God like that because they're in covenant. God said that you will be my man. You'll be my people. And God's promises are spoken over David. And whoever touches David touches God. You need to know that. When people touch you in a way that hurts you, my friends, they're touching God. He is jealous over you. Do you understand the covenant relationship here? So we see here that he says, Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly will I seek you. So David here reveals the depth of that covenant relationship. Now you would say this covenant relationship is almost transactional in nature. It's, it's almost like you know, you know, it's void of emotion. You know, many people that we've counseled in marriage would say, yeah, but I entered into a covenant with my wife 20 years ago, but I don't have that same feeling towards her. Well, my friend, you know, covenant is transactional in nature. I understand that. You make promises to one another, and it is forever, and that is what covenant is. And covenant speaks about when your spouse is doing poorly, you still treat them like they're doing excellently. That's covenant. Covenant is not a, a, a contract. A contract says, if you do this, then I will do that. Covenant means I am 100% for you 100% of the time. That's within its original form. That's covenant. And when the one is down, the other one lifts them up. We don't wait until the other one deserves it. No, covenant says, I am committed to you regardless. And that's God's relationship with us. And David knew that. But my friends, he knows that God loves him passionately. It's not just transactional in nature. There's emotion to it. God is an emotional God. Did you know that? You read the scripture, you'll find out that he's quite emotional. Because he dances over us, the Bible says, with singing. That's what the Bible says. Now, you need to get your minds around that. That's fine. But he is a passionate God, and he loves you passionately. So we see that covenant is involved in his life here. But covenant, when you look at David responding to God, he responds passionately to God. As David responds to God, there is something incredibly special that is revealed here. And I'd like you just to look at the verse here. Let's just read verse 1 again. He says, you God, oh my God, earnestly will I seek you. I thirst for you with my whole being as I long for you in a dry and a parched land where there is no water. I have seen you in your sanctuary. I have beheld your power and your glory. So we see a little bit of history, this covenant relationship between David and God. And he says, you know, I have experienced your power. I have seen your glory. 
God has revealed himself to David. It is not only a transactional thing where you enter into covenant. God interacted with David and David interacted with God. That is what relationship is all about. That's what the Christian experience is all about. It is an interaction of two relationships. He says, I've seen you in the sanctuary, verse 2. I have beheld your power and your glory. God reveals himself to you. I want to encourage you in faith to say to God often, God, would you just reveal yourself to me through the Bible as I read it? Reveal yourself to me. My friends, God loves doing this, and we see that he's done that with David. But then David responds in verse 3. He says, I have beheld your glory. And then verse 3, because your love is better than life. My lips, and uh, I remember this verse this way, it says, my lips will praise you, thus will I bless you. That's the New King James Version that I remember. That It was a song that we used to sing when we were younger, when we looked at Psalm 63. But we see here that, that, that David expresses what he feels about God's love. Remember, Oh God, you are my God, covenant language. Verse 3, you need to remember that there is always a response when there's a covenant between people. And now David responds to God because God responded to him. He had beheld God's glory, he says, and I've seen your power. And now David responds in verse 3, he says, because your love is better than life. Or your loving kindness, as the King James Version says, is better than life. My lips will praise you, thus will I bless you. What is this loving kindness that he speaks about? This loving kindness that he speaks about is God's love. And you see within the Old Testament, wherever the word kindness or loving kindness comes, it speaks about God's love. It's the same type of love that the New Testament speaks about, the agape love of God, which is unconditional for those who enter into a covenant relationship with God. And David stands up and he says, God, even though I'm in this position where my son is trying to take my throne, where my son is betraying me, where my own son is trying to kill me, he says, I have experienced your glory. I've experienced your power. I know your love. And David says, your love, God, is better than life. He says that God's love is far more superlative in value than life. There's a connection between that and longing and looking for the return of Christ. I think within our lives, life to many of us are far more superlative than the love of God. And our values show it in the way we live and also in the decisions that we make. David turns it around and he says, God, he says, your love, your grace, your mercy, your loving kindness is way more valuable 
and life. I wonder whether we are truthful within our confession that we could stand and say that, Lord, what you have done for me through the covenant relationship that you've established with me, with Jesus, is far more important than life. Now remember, life is precious to us. Here in Switzerland, we have all kinds of insurances that secures us in life. People live longer than they have ever lived before. Why? Because we invest in insurances for life. Medical insurances. I said to you last week that my desire is that I would live until 150 years old. We were with a couple on Saturday night and they were in church when I made that statement and it was revealed to Jen and Jen said to me, I don't want to be with you when you're 130 years old. I don't want to change your nappies. <laughs> and uh, we laughed together and of course, I understand that. Um, but I'm going to be youthful at the age of 130. But you see, it's, you know, it's the way we speak about life. We highly value life. But my friends, when we start to have this relationship with God, when we start to interact with Him, we will value life, but it will never have more value than the eternal and the things that He's done with our lives. I mean, Scripture, you know, tells us about how important this gift is that you and I receive from God, this grace. Because God's love is really in the form of His grace. We can talk about grace all day long and say, how wonderful is grace? But is grace less important than life? My friends, grace is far less superlative than life. Because through grace, our sins have been forgiven, which separates us from God. Grace ensures that we have a relationship with God that is eternal in value. Grace puts eternity within our hearts where we live forever and forever and forever. And grace gives us a higher quality of relationship with people here on the earth. It enriches our relationships with one another. Did you know that? And that's why if I wrong you in mercy, you forgive me. That raises the quality of relationship. In my marriage with Jen, when I am not the best husband in grace, she receives me. My friends, what God gives us is infinitely more important and valuable than what this life brings us. Matthew chapter 13 verses 44 to 45 says this. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. That's how important 
the kingdom of God is within our hearts. That's this treasure that he bought. Jesus is that treasure. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. It illustrates that when we find Jesus, we will be willing to sell everything else just to have him. The value of the grace of God, the loving kindness of God. My friends, when that becomes the central focus within our lives, it revolutionizes the way we look at life and we look at one another. And this is what David was saying here. He says, because your love is better than life. He says, because your love is better than life. We see what is actually within his heart, he says. My lips will praise you or glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live, in verse 4. And in your name I will lift up my hand. I will be fully satisfied as with the riches of foods. With singing lips, my lips or my mouth will praise you. There is something that erupts within the psalmist. And he praises God. I want you to look at the inward life of a person who values the grace of God, the gift of God, more than the gift of life. I've seen over this period how we value our lives. I want to ask you the question, do you value the gift of God more highly than your life? This is what it looks like when you encounter a person who highly values the gift of God. This is what happens. You see within him, you see the psalm reveals how highly David values the loving kindness of God. And we see that he expresses it in this way. It is his whole being comes and he worships God. The psalm reveals David's heart in worship. He worships God with his whole being. I fail to understand sometimes why we are not moved within our worship in God. Do you? And I think oftentimes it's because, and there's many reasons, but one is because life is more valuable and we haven't actually encountered giver of life to the degree where our whole being worships him. Look at the way David worships him here. The Bible says here in verses 3 to 5 that he praises the Lord with his voice. Yeah, that's a beautiful thing when you see people just praising God with their voices. Well, some people praising God with their voices. Some of us don't have much of a voice, but when you encounter 
the Kemas and the Lorraines and um, the Craigs, so, yeah, they have beautiful voices. And that's why I like to take in behind them. Kima, uh, this morning, as she was going to start one of the lines within the worship, I started at first while I was up front here. You know, and I thought, Lord, oh, just help me to keep quiet. You know, my voice is not the most beautiful voice. Let me listen to the ones with the beautiful voices. But my friends, there is something wonderful that God values when we worship him with our voices, whether you have one or not. And you see that David, having experienced the giver of life and the one who gifts his grace to us, he was a real worshiper. Don't be deceived to think that you can only worship God by being quiet. It's just not what the Bible shows us. It isn't. doesn't matter how much we want to justify that. The Bible speaks about worshiping God with our whole being. He says, from my innermost being, I will worship God. He says, he praises God with joyful lips. That's the response of an inner life that's encountered the loving kindness of God. We will speak of his goodness. That song says we'll speak of his goodness. We'll speak of his love. Not just when we're together here, but with others we'll speak of his goodness. That is worship. And then we see that he says, I will praise him with joyful hands. It's interesting, isn't he? He says, my lips will glorify you. I'll praise you as long as I live. And in your name, I will lift up my hands. People oftentimes think that if you lift up your hands within a place of worship like this, they'd say, are you a charismatic church? Have you ever heard that? If you lift your hands, they say, are you a charismatic church? I said, no, we're a biblical church. There's a big difference. A biblical church, in a biblical church, people raise their hands because that's what the Bible says. Whether your culture allows that or not, we bow before the culture of the Bible, the kingdom culture. And so we see here that David says, I will lift up my hands to your name. Why do we do it? It's because the Bible says with our whole being we will worship him, not just with our lips, not just by meditating, which you'll see later in the psalm here, but he says, with our whole being, we will worship the Lord. My friends, look at what comes out here. He says, I will praise you, verse 4, as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied as with the riches of food, with singing lips, my mouth will praise you. How much of a longing do you have in your hearts for God at this moment? I guarantee you that when you are at a difficult time in your life, if you're battling with some things, and if you've experienced the love of the covenant-keeping God, 
you will be able to, as David, come before him with joyful lips, even in the midst of difficult situations. And you will be able to worship God. If you are in a wilderness experience like David today, I would love you in faith, in worship, and in reverence to call out to God and to say, Oh God, you are my God. This is the place, this is the time, that is the time. For you to cry out and to say, Oh God, you are my God. My friends, that's what happens when we treasure His kindness towards us, His love towards us. And so wherever you are at today, God is there for you to call out to Him. Because he loves you. Would you stand, please?